This Tome Show production is supported by listeners like you. Keep using the affiliate links for Amazon and dndclassics.com and support the show while you shop. Welcome to the News Desk. Once a month, we get together to chat about the latest news in D&D, and your two anchors today are me, Sam Dillon. And I'm Jeff Greiner, and we're here to talk about the D&D news from October of 2013. And with us today is our man on the street, Randall Walker, live from the slave pits in the local (laughs) arena of war. It really smells bad here. (laughs) (laughs) So how are things going out there fighting to the death for the amusement of others? It's not a lot of fun. I'll be honest. <laughs> now, that has not been my experience because it is true that Arena of War, the mobile game, the free-to-play mobile game from uh, or in, in conjunction with Wizards of the Coast, has been released. Yay! I just got the email today that uh, it's ready for Android. Yeah, that's, I just saw John Shindahedi post something on Facebook about how it was released for Android today. Uh, it came out a week ago on iOS, and I've been playing for a little while. So everybody should go out there and play, and if you're going to play... Do a search for Tome Heroes and join my party. Tome Heroes. There you go. Tome Heroes. All right. Yeah, there's like an invite code thing where you can give people the code and they can just they can put put that in and, and automatically, you know, be joined into the party. Except that I've found that it pretty universally doesn't actually work. <laughs> so, and, and they haven't integrated Facebook and Twitter yet. That those features are locked. They're like they're visible, but it says locked on them, so you can't use them yet. Um, so yeah, but if you search for Tome Heroes, I don't think it'll be in, uh, hard to find us. Uh, we've got a party of three or four of us now, and and I'll go in and approve all of that, and so all of us Tomites can play together. Very good. All right. So there, that's that's my first lightning round announcement. Arena of War is out, and I've been playing, and it's not bad. Like I feel like I'm if I really went hardcore, I could probably finish it in another every part of it in another, you know, in about a month. Um. Without said without in the slaver series, what's that? <laughs> I mean, it's set in the same scene as the slaver series. Is no, that where it's it, at? Or? No, it's set in um, Forgotten Realms and, and tied into the Sundering. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. So the, the the story is that your character is a chosen of some god, and you have to go out and defeat some evil chosens doing bad things. Uh, okay. And the the paladin guy um, Esteval from the Sundering uh, concept, you know, uh, is sort of right. your guide through the game. Oh, okay. But yeah, it's not too, it's not too bad, and and I mean it's it's basically you you you're flinging your characters at bad guys and blowing them up and attacking them and, and what have you and leveling up your your characters, um, you know. But if you like, you want to get to level eight of a bunch of different classes, then it unlocks tier two classes. Mm. So I leveled up my fighter, my dwarven fighter, to level eight, and I leveled up my um, my uh, I level up my orcish or half orc barbarian to level eight and that opened up the pirate so now i can ah. play now i can play a pirate so i've opened up pirate ninja and monk so far now i'm working on paladin a pirate seem- ninja monk well no they're not all the same thing <laughs> they're different characters you actually you have a, a, a range a library of characters with from which to choose it sounds like you are an enthusiast uh, it's easy enough to, to play for a little bit and then you run out of of quest points or whatever it is energy what you know and then you okay. then you give it up so and are there monetary incentives yeah so you use potions if you're running out of if you run out of energy or if you die and you need hit points you've got potions mm. that you can that you can drink to re- recharge your energy to, to a third or give you some more energy to go on more missions or whatever 
Um, and I meant microtransactions. Well, right, and so. so that's what I'm saying is that you can oh. you, you can you can earn those potions through the game, or you can purchase them. Um, you can also purchase powers. So there's this power mechanic, um, okay. and, and powers sort of enhance your character. You can use some of them in the game, and the other ones just give you more hit points and, and can help you cause more damage. And you can like fuse them together, and you can get some rare rare powers through through spending some money as well. Um, but, interesting to see how that's working for them as far as the monetized part of it. That would be that that would be intriguing. Yeah, no, and I think I think I mean it's not a it's a similar model to what I've seen in, in many other games. It's not that oh, un, sure. unusual. No, I know it's not unusual. Yeah, it's just a matter. Of, I think I think with games like that, it's a matter of can you reach a critical mass where where the the few people who are going to use the microtransactions will monetize it enough to justify it. You know, right? Yeah. But I'm having fun without cool. paying any money on it so far. So you know, people should do it and join us, Tome Heroes. Next lightning round is to you, Sam. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you about the event that is dubbed the 25 Hours of Dungeons and Dragons Extra Life Marathon. Um, although I'm not sure how they get 25 hours out of it because it's from 8 a.m. to 8 a.m. And by my estimation, that's only 24 <laughs> hours. But whatever. Is so, it, it, or uh, it does the last hour start at 8 a.m. and they go for an hour after that? <laughs> Oh, could be that it. No, I. I don't know. No, I, that, <laughs> that does. That doesn't. That's not regular convention. Sorry, I'm. I'm not. I'm not accepting that. Okay. Uh, anyway, what it is is a basically a charity event, and um, you, Greg Bilsland is running a game for 25 solid hours. I'll just. I'll say 25 because that's what they're saying. (laughs) And they are doing it as part of what's called um, Extra Life. And Extra Life is a um, a, a charity that that donates money to children. So it's going to help Children's Miracle Network hospitals. And so uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to the 24 Hours of Dungeons & Dragons page. And and basically uh, it shows you the schedule and it shows you who's playing in in what segment. And and Greg is uh, is – playing or sorry is running the game for the entire 25 hours and um rodney thompson is playing the game for the entire 25 hours and then there's there are four other player slots where some people are coming in and 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 not not staying for the entire 25 hours but but for you know four to six hours or sometimes eight hours at a time and so you can go to the page and look at who that is and basically you can go and um sponsor people basically giving giving donations to give benefits to to particular team members um like potions of healings or letting them re-roll a die or giving them a magic item and things like that and so if you if you go to that page and then you click the there's a link to the dungeons and dragons extra life page and it'll take you to their page and you can sign up to donate to the team and their goal was five thousand dollars they've already beat that they've already raised six thousand nine hundred eighty six dollars um and uh, and so there's but there's still some time that the event isn't actually happening until November second to the, through through the second to the third. So it starts at eight a.m. on November second. It goes all the way until eight or nine a.m. on the third. So and, and since we're discussing charitable actions, it is worth pointing out that it is almost November, and November is also known as how not to grow a beard month. And I will be I will be horribly growing a beard again this November, raising money for the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. You can find it at honotogrowabemo.org. Or if you want a shortcut, if you go to beards, the number four, boobs.org, that you can find us there as well. <laughs> so since we're mentioning charities. Yeah. Excellent. And Randall. 
Okay, well, we'll just keep. It is a. It is the terrible time of time of year, <laughs> and um, so let's jump to the one I was going to discuss, and that's the Gygax Memorial Fund. Um, as you know, they started selling uh, Wizard of the Coast had started selling limited edition, premium covered reprints of the original Dungeons and Dragons books, the Monster Manual Player's Handbook, and Dungeon Master's Guide, and the a portion of those proceeds was set aside for the Gygax Memorial Fund. Um, of course, everyone knows at this point, if you're not, you're living under a rock as a gamer, that E. Gary Gygax is the one, along with um, uh, uh, help, uh, Arneson, uh, Dave Arneson, created Dungeons & Dragons uh, back in the early 70s. And so a kind of a big deal, and he passed away a few years ago. Um, both of them actually at this point have passed away. Um, but the Gygax Memorial Fund, I think, is um, – being managed by um, his uh, wife, Gail, I believe. And Yes, uh, yes, that's correct. And I believe it'll be in the show notes. The gist <laughs> of this particular update is that in addition to those funds, Wizards of the Coast wrote them a sizable contribution um, above and beyond that particular amount of money. And um, as a, a big thank you, I think that says a lot for the company uh, to honor his memory. And I'm not entirely sure. I, I honestly don't remember... What the fund goes for, probably a memorial statue of yeah, some kind, I, I believe. Idea. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so that's a, uh, a worthy cause uh, for them to support and for anyone that loves the game. Um, I know a lot of people have uh, donated uh, to that. So. Well, then I guess it's time to get into the in-depth topics, right? Sure. That would be all correct. Right. Yes, Since we, sir. Got, we don't have any ad at the moment, uh, so I'll just take the, this opportunity to remind people, if you go over to the tomeshow.com, the one thing I will have show notes for... Uh, is links to Amazon and to D&D Classics. If you click on those links and go shopping, we get a little bit of credit, and that helps keep us doing what we're doing. And, you know, it's the holiday season coming up, so if you're doing your Christmas shopping or whatever, uh, you know, it can help us out. All right, I'm putting 10 minutes on the clock. Sam, you are the first one to talk. Go. All right, I am the first one to talk, and I am going to talk to you about two different articles. One of them is called, You Got Science in My Fantasy. And it's a Wandering Monsters article from October 8th, 2013 by James Wyatt. And um, it's an interesting article. And basically what the premise of the article is, look, D&D has been around for a long time. And one of the things that occurs when you start talking about a fantasy world is first – Oftentimes, people start out playing with very solid lines between good and evil, and things that are evil can just be destroyed because they're supposed to be, and things that are good will often win the day. But what happens is, as we grow up and grow older and get a little more um, complex and, and I don't know, a little more refined in our in our thoughts about things, we get a little more philosophical and then we start asking ourselves things like, well, is it okay to kill the lair filled with orc babies, even though they're evil? Um, and so th this article addresses that a little bit, but I mean, that, that's an interesting conversation to have, but, but really the thing that I thought was interesting about this article, and I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but the interesting thing is that, um, He's really talking about um, what should be in the game and how diverse should the creatures and the types of creatures and the races that are in the world, how, how diverse should those be? 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, he starts talking about how, you know, of course, you know, in the original Dungeons and Dragons, humans were definitely the dominant race. They, the, the, it was meant in, in Gary Gygax's mind, and he wrote about this often. You know, the world was full of humans and the other races, they were very much, they were marginal and they were very, there were very many fewer of them than there were of humans. Um, and, and for that reason, the, the demi humans, you know, the demi human races got lots more different powers and they were a little bit more interesting, whatever. And so, of course, then they became the most popular thing to play and all that stuff. But, um, anyway, this article really, the, the, the most important sentence or the most important couple of sentences, I think, um, coming, out of this article for me is this. He says, um, if you think about the Yawning Portal Tavern in Waterdeep, for example, it's going to be much less diverse than he, he, he's using the cantina from Moss Eisley from, from Star, the Star Wars universe. He says it, you'll be, it'll be much less diverse than that because the cantina in Moss Eisley is full of creatures from all over the universe. You'll see, however, in in the Yawning Portal, you'll see humans of every color from dozens of different cultures. You'll also see some dwarves and elves. You'll see halflings and maybe some gnomes. You might spot a dragonborn. You might spot a tiefling. Anything else you're probably not going to see. And in fact, it's very specific about the numbers of those. Lots of humans, lots of dwarves and elves and halflings. Everything else is kind of not really predominant. Yeah, which reminds which, me a little bit of like in the third edition um, campaign guides and stuff, they would actually, you know, you'd li- they'd list a city or a kingdom or whatever and they would say this percent of this race, this percent of this race, you know, and they'd have a whole bunch of, of races, but it was like, you know, 90, 98% elves if it's an elven kingdom or whatever, right? And so it broke down in, in similar ways. Yeah. And so I guess what I thought as I was reading this, this, uh, this, this article was, um, you know, are they? I, I, I'm trying to, of course, constantly relate it to how they're going to be, you know, what they're going to be putting in the core. And I'm wondering if this is sort of, you know, they're having these conversations because they're trying to decide what races are going to be the core races. Mm-hmm. And are we going to have a case where the core, the, the, the player's handbook, is only going to have humans, dwarves, elves, and halflings? And then you're going to have to wait to get a supplement or to get an optional module that's going to have gnomes, dragonborn, tiefling, warforged, wilden. But I, but I think you'll, I think you'll have those options, though. Right? You may, but I'm 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 talking just about the yeah, initial war that they're going to release, and and that's sort of what this article left me thinking about. Hmm. Um, well, and this article has a very weird evolution because it starts it starts out talking about that whole philosophical thing about you know about orcs and good and evil but then it goes right into well where where do dragonborn come from where where do dragons come from and they, you know they're really delving into the sort of origin of what these creatures are mm-hmm. and these are the things that they're still talking about even though you know we're probably only 6 or you know 6 months out from from a true release i mean if we're expecting a release maybe in Gen Con 2014, they've only got a couple of months to really solidify this so that they can get all the files and everything out so the book can be printed. Sure. And it's yeah, interesting because... 2014 is any longer a realistic uh, release date. Uh, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't given up that thought yet. Um, and I find it interesting because I, I went to, as you're talking about it, I went to the next uh, Wandering Monster article so I could look at the poll results mm-hmm. uh, from that article. Uh, and and it's fairly consistent. I think the message that I see, if I look at the the biggest vote getter on each one, um, 
that what the the people being polled want is lots of options that they're going to limit in their own campaigns. You know, uh, if you look at our orcs, evil by nature depends on the campaign. Our dragons evolved reptiles depends on the campaign. Uh, but you get down into you know how many savage races should yeah, they have? But- More savage races that'd be great. You know, but but then I'm then the next very last question. But I'm going to limit them, or you know, dip, or they're right. a long ways well, away. But- you're not going to see them. Yeah, but I don't know if that's really I, – I, I, let me put it this way. If you put depends on the campaign as an option in any poll, that's what most people are going to pick. It could be. Right. But, but so I, I, I'm not sure that's actually a helpful answer to get to give people as an option because I think that if someone doesn't want to think really hard about it or if, they are, if they're a person that says, well, maybe in my campaign, but maybe someone else has, you know, has some other ideas and I don't want to step on their toes, then saying it depends on the campaign is like the most – it's the easiest and also maybe most true answer. So I, I but I'm not sure it's. I'm well, sh- I think it's the least informative. It's a lo- also a little bit like saying, you know what, you you say whatever you want about orcs, but I'm going to run it the way I want in my campaign. Right. It's, it's kind right. of that answer. Yeah. You want to hear my yeah. prediction? Yes. Yes. Let's hear your prediction. My prediction is six races, four core, two other, and then you will have other races um, introduced with different campaign settings. What are the two? Bye other? bye. No. What are, what are the four core and what are the two other? Oh well, human dwarf halfling elf. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. The, um, the two optional, the softball answer is half elf and half yeah. orc. The harder answer is um, uh, probably um, gnome and half elf. I think half elf is a given. So I mean, half elf has been core for a long. Personally, time. I would like to see the elimination of the half races. If you're going to elevate, you might as well just elevate orcs to a race at the to a, a player character race at this point. I sure, see you could. no harm to do that. Or you could go the Pathfinder route and make goblins a major race. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think they'll do that in the core though. Probably no. not because there's not uh, there's not a history to that. No, and it's also it would be seem it would seem like just you know copying Pathfinder. I, I think but, any, hey. I think anything that they make into a. a uh, one of the core races in the original release is going to be something that has appeared as a core race in a previous release. Maybe. And, and there's been some talk or some hints that maybe what they would do is take every race that's, that's been core in any release and put it into this core, which would make it a lot bigger than, than that. But right. they may be, there is one possibility. It's an outlier, but I've seen a lot of talk of them to create, and I don't quote me on this. I'm sure this will come back and bite me, but <laughs> It seems to me that there was a brief, very brief mention of the fact that there was some interest in having some kind of um, generic, I'm going to call it an anime race. And the reason I say that is because it might have animal features of different kinds. Okay, a customizable race, in other words. So if you wanted to have panda guys, or if you wanted to have cat people, or you wanted to have, um, you know... Oriental Adventures used to do something like that. Um, yeah. But, like, it would be one, it would be a race slot, if you will, but it would be customizable within that race to be it would able be like to a, add. Like a yeah. template with different choices for, for different particular pieces of it. A build your right. own race thing. thing. Yeah. Not all the things, but, like, within this, you know, like, human-animal type con- construct, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's an outlier. I. That's just a, it'd be interesting to have that. I think that would, a lot, of, that would actually appeal to a lot of people. Um, I think there are a lot of people out there that when they say, I want to play a character, hey, I want to be a mouse person or something like that, you know, and mm-hmm. and D&D really doesn't give you that option. But if it did, I think that would be very attractive I think to that a, would, a large segment. I think that would be very attractive to a specific segment Yeah, that may, that may be large. It may be an area where they can grow the audience. 
Right, exactly. But yeah. but but I don't know if it's something I want to see at my table. Yeah. <laughs> so I have only one other comment, and that's that I think this name the name of this article was horrible. Because the this article, when I saw the title, I thought maybe this was going to be about mixing sci fi elements I with did too. Yeah, fantasy. I did too. I did and too. Everyone and it wasn't about that, that at all. In the yeah. first edition of uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, there's an entire chapter on mixing fantasy and other wo- and mm-hmm. other worlds like Gamma World and Wild West. And yeah. Stuff. So so, wait, so before you cut me off, Jeff, though, I have one thing to say about the second article I was going to talk about. Okay. And it's it's going to take one second. So the other article is called Monsters and Stories. It's the Legend and Lore Archive. Actually, I have two things to say about it. Um, in, in this article, he talks about how they're trying to get get away a little bit from game mechanics and talk about story and and sort of set the mythology down for for the the next edition of the game. And so he gives this example of what they've done with the Medusa in terms of uh, how they're you know how they're thinking about it. And so they, he gives some facts about Medusas, like, you know, because their hairs are made of vipers and they they have a human body and they're horribly ugly and they turn victim to stone and all that. But then he talks about um, their background and he has this one sentence and it says, Medusas are created by a curse whereby a human trades a decade of great beauty and personal magnetism for an eternity of a visage so wretched that it turns onlookers to stone. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, except a decade? Are you kidding? Somebody traded a decade for an eternity? That's ridiculous. A decade's a um, long time, though. Not really. A decade is nothing compared to eternity. Forget well, it. That's nothing. Okay. But the, a but decade's the a long time thing, if you're in a world only that only has humans. Maybe, but 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 think about it though. A decade, okay. So a decade. Let's say even if the average lifespan is only forty years old, that's only a quarter of your of your life, and you are trading that for eternity just to be pretty. No, that's I don't I don't like it. I I, I think that that the the Medusa myth needs a tiny bit more depth. Even if you just say trade, they trade a hundred years of great beauty and agelessness for Sam, an eternity. I would posit that it actually needs a lot less depth. And they should leave it as Medusas are created as a result of a terrible curse. Done. Well, I'm fine with that. But I'm saying (laughs) – no, but what I'm saying is if they're going – because from the article, basically what they're saying is we are going to go into depth on all these mythologies. And the the other Wandering Monster articles – this is is a weird Legends lore article, but the other Wandering Monster articles going into that. And what I'm saying is if they're going to go into it, then don't do something stupid like this. I I actually really like this, so – well, I, I mean, liked everything I mean, else around it, but a decade? Give me 50 years no, no, or 100 no, but, years but, of agelessness and beauty. But that's for the that. point. If it was worth it, not many people would do it. Medusas are rare. It's a rare curse. It almost never happens. And it's this really vain person that, that falls into that sort of thing. That's where it becomes interesting. Maybe, but he doesn't say any of that. That's the part that makes it interesting, but he doesn't say that part. Okay, I mean, I just I assume, he doesn't say that. Part. I presumed it, it would have been it would have been assumed that that medusas are relatively rare. It's not like there's a race well, of medusas, you, but well, sure uh, there I mean, yeah, there but I mean, be. that's that's the problem though, Jeff, is that it depends on what, which game that you learn. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Like, no, I get it. That's the thing is, if you're going to go into depth, then you need to go into depth about it all. Sure, and make he's it. Not all writing, he's not writing the whole he, mythology. He's just giving you he a hint of what they're doing. Uh, that's a pretty big hint. It's a pretty big <laughs> article. But what I find funny, though, too, is the first comment that you see when you go to it is someone says, Dear Mike, I'd prefer if you'd keep talking about mechanics because James Ward already covers the monster stories in great detail. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> basically what James um, Wyatt does every week. I mean, what I say, James Ward. Whoops. James Wyatt. Yes, that's correct. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so, you know, I, my point is, you know – 
if you're going to do it, either go Randall's direction and say, look, here are the very basics of it and we're leaving it at that. And you can – and here's some ideas for to maybe flesh out and what you might want to do with your Yes, and maybe even campaign. perhaps the original Greek myth. Right. Or or just say, look, here's how it is in, in this particular world and give it lots of good details. But yeah. I hear you. Because the thing is, Jeff, you're right. Yeah, if it wasn't worth it, if it was if it was really, really worth it, there'd be a lot of them. Except if it's not worth it this much, who's gonna do it? Nobody's gonna do the it. The really vain, really vapid people that deserve uh, to be turned into Medusas. <laughs> mm, I don't know. I, all, all I know is that I read that, and and every Medusa in my head that could ever exist as an NBC or monster in, immediately started to have a personality that they never had before, which I which I liked. So there. Well, you know, like it's I said, I, I like the stuff that he wrote around it and about it. You know, because he talks about how because then then two paragraphs later he talks about how that particular setup can lead to three or four different general personality types of a Medusa. That you so basically his premise is here it is, and I'm leaving it open for you to do it. But he doesn't really like Randall said. It's not really that open. It's it's pretty narrow actually. Um, so I, I don't know. I just I, I you know it, they're talking about this stuff and that's all great, but I'm just I, I'm I'm afraid that much of their monster mythology is going to be like this, and you know I, this one just doesn't happen to 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 trigger me in terms of something I would want to put in my campaign. Some ideas of it, yes, but I don't know. A decade. So what you're saying is that if there was a poll, you would say this origin works depending on the campaign. No, I wouldn't. I would say no <laughs> be at all. You know, I think one I'm of the things joking. that they need to learn to do is treat certain iconic monsters as iconic monsters. There used to be an interesting entry in the monster manuals, particularly in first and second edition, and that entr- entry was unique. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, a Medusa, whether it's male or female, doesn't matter. There should be one. It should be an integral part of the campaign as ongoing, and then that's it. There's one. There's not a race of them. It doesn't happen all the time. It's one thing and kind of a big deal. And so, you know, I just mm, they, yeah. and, and, there's and, this tendency to want to make them off the shelf monsters that you just drop anywhere. And you don't need to do that. We got plenty of monsters you could do that with. You don't need to do it with a Medusa or a Minotaur necessarily, although maybe people would argue on that one. But there are other iconic creatures that, you know, one's good enough, really. <laughs> well, and I think I, – I don't think you're necessarily wrong, but I think that's an area where, going back to the theme, I think it can depend on the campaign. I think in some campaign settings, it makes sense for there to be more than more than one or a whole civilization of them, and th- they want to provide the option to do either way. Yeah, I, I guess, guess – you know, so here's, here's my take-home message for this article. Um, he talks about how, oh, we can introduce new stories and flesh out details that were previously vague, but we're really leaving the fundamental role of, of these monsters unchanged. That's what he's saying. But I guess my thing is, then why don't you give in the DM guide and in the monster manual, why don't you give some advice to DMs about how to do that in their game? Mm-hmm. You know, make sure that I hope they. I guess this is my thing. And maybe I they will. They, they make sure that they say in the in these listings and in in these stories somewhere at the end or the beginning. And I hope they say, "Look, here's one idea of the possible mythology of this creature. Mm-hmm. Feel free 
to change this to suit your own campaign. Sure. If you want a very classical Medusa that is one oh, – there's only one of them or there's only three, which is actually the original classical uh, – Greek thing. There were three sisters. But anyway, if you want them to be ultra rare like that, that way they are something that the party will strive to go defeat and it's like a once in a lifetime thing and the stories will be told about it and become myth in that world, then there can't be 20,000 of those things running around. And it's okay to change the mythology to match your campaign. As long as they give that advice, I don't care what backstory they give. Give me all the fodder, all the story that you want, as long as you also give new DMs a, a paragraph or some tips that says, but you know what? Change this to match your vision. But if they give all the advice, what are you going to write on your blog for the next several years? (laughs) <laughs> well, they can't get all the advice. I'm joking. <laughs> all right. That is I was going to say, what do you mean right on my blog? I haven't done that in months. <laughs> you got me beat. Uh, so, uh, Randall. Okay. You're, you're talking about something. Where's my story? I am talking about I, I something. I took all your time. I haven't, no, that's I haven't okay. started his time. He's just starting. All right, cool. Uh, um. I was actually looking through a lot of the past articles and I'm uh, of the last month, and I'm not really seeing a whole lot that's really getting my attention. Um, there's a lot of, uh, uh, and I don't. It's going to sound harsh. I don't mean it to be, but it's a lot of obvious things that they're sort of saying about the development of the game. And it's like, guys, that's cool. Go ahead and do your thing. We don't really need to know about that. Um, give us something that's you know really new and innovative to talk about. And so far, I'm not seeing a lot of that. There are some things. But not a lot, and so as a result, I um, the, what I'm going to talk about tonight is uh, the uh, or day or morning or whenever you happen to be listening to this cast. Um, and I suspect, as we before you get into the into that topic on the issue of there's not a lot going on, I suspect we're going to see more and more of that. Right? I think we're going to hit a lull in them discussing things they're thinking about as they start to solidify things more, and then we'll start to see an uptick of less. Here's what we're thinking about, and more of here's a preview of what we of what we've done. Oh, I you know? I would agree with that. So I think I think, I think we're yes. we're gonna this is maybe the beginning of a lull where they're gonna slow down for a bit before we start seeing previews. Exactly. So as a result, I I'm gonna talk about something that they uh, it's on the minds of several people, particularly uh, fourth edition players and people that love fourth edition. Um, I saw this linked in Twitter actually, and it's on the forum, uh, a post that. Uh, uh, a Trevor made, Trevor Kid made over in um, two days ago, actually. Trevor Kid, community manager for D anD D and friend of the that, show. That's exactly right. Um, and I'll just read some points that he talked about uh, the future of DDI just a little bit. It was a very brief post, but he said, uh, "Point one: DDI will remain available to those who wish to access all the great fourth edition magazines and tools as part of the DDI subscription. So, hey guys, if you still have a subscription, you can still use your stuff." Um, he the second point he made is that starting in March of 2014, the DDI tool set, character builder, adventure tools, well, you know the whole tool set, um, won't be updated with new fourth edition game content. Now this is pretty straightforward. I, I think that's the obvious decision to make. I don't think anyone realistically expects uh, Wizards of the Coast to continue providing brand new material for a game that is no longer being supported. Um, I think that makes sense, um, particularly with the new edition. This is not unusual at all. Um, for for things to do that, so that's or for companies to do that, so um, it makes sense. Um, 
And then finally, uh, existing issues of Dungeon Magazine and Dragon Magazine will continue to be offered for viewing. So all that great material, in, including the article that I wrote, will still be out there for people to read somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> even though it's probably faded into obscurity even at this point. But no. Um, uh, like I said, so, I think that's been on the minds of a lot of people. I think a lot of people have feared that um, with the new game, the fourth edition would just evaporate. And um, I never really thought that was the case myself. I, right. I, you know, I, I realized new new content would be created for it, but I can't. I knew that there had to be some kind of archival process um, so that players will still have access to that information. What I like about this whole thing is that what that says is that D and D four E, as of March of twenty fourteen, will be a complete game. Yep. And the idea that all of the material for four E is out there somewhere, either in the books or whatever. Um, it's okay it to gives, say it's a complete game now. Yeah, it gives a solid end date, which is it a good does. thing. Yeah, but he, it does. here's here's what it doesn't say though. What it doesn't say is it says DDI will remain available to those who still wish to access all the great fourth edition magazines and tools as part of the subscription, but it doesn't say even after D&D Next is released. So this does not mean that it'll go on in perpetuity. It'll go on infinitely. It only means that their current plans for the foreseeable future are to leave this open for everyone to use. They're giving a, a strict end date or, or a solid end date for 4th edition support. No new 4th edition material after March. However, the stuff is there, and everything that will have been released up to that point presumably will be in those adventure tools. They just won't get any new updates because there's no new material. Um, and, and, and and old magazines will be will be viewable, which you know matches with you know they're stopping the 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 release of new new issues of that magazine yeah. in January up until they release the new edition. I'm and, sure. And, and I don't think the magazines, the articles and stuff, will ever go away. I think those will always be available. Um, I think archived. they'll always be archived. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, because you, I mean, you can go back and, and find third edition stuff mm-hmm. that's still archived. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. On the site. Yeah. And so yeah, I I, I don't think it'll. Um, I honestly think if they if they set up a new set of tools um, for D and D next, they will be a new set of tools. It'll be a new link. I think it'll be part of your subscription still. Um, but at this point, there's really uh, things like storage and stuff like that only gets cheaper as time progresses right. and not more expensive. So um, I'm not sure. Sort of a huge tools for D and D next. Well, you're not sure if they'll need them. Well, I mean, in terms of like the like fourth edition really did need a character builder because it was a bear to do it by hand. It was, but but fifth edition D next does not necessarily need. I, I mean, I guess they could. They, um, I guess what I'm saying is they. I can foresee optional tools like encounter builders or you know things like that. I can Maybe see them it, do all the tools, but but they mm-hmm. just won't be as necessary. You'll use them if yeah, you want them. They won't be necessary right. exactly. It'll be fact, more of a I, I, I just factor. feel like yeah. I feel like fourth edition really it, those tools were necessary. In oh, fact, yeah, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised with a lot of the partnerships and things they've made digitally. Um, if it wasn't a web app this time, but a mobile app, that, you know, or if there was a mobile version, you know, you'd be able to buy in, in your app store for your Android tablet or your yeah, your iPad I, or whatever. I, I I would venture to say they will not be using Silverlight for any tools in the future. <laughs> 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 uh-huh. They yeah, I hope they guess. learned a lesson on that one. <laughs> Boy, yeah. yeah um, so. But anyway, that's. Uh, I think that was a good post to make. Um, mm-hmm. Very short but very important um, because really I think a lot of 4E fans felt almost abandoned because the run of the game didn't last as long as some of the other versions have. And 
And I think a lot of 4E fans felt literally abandoned. And I think this is a nice way of saying, look, guys, the information's still going to be out there. Don't sweat it. Um, and and, I, and, and there's enough. Like, I don't need them to continue to, to provide new stuff for 4th edition. Like, there is a ton of stuff for 4th edition, right? Oh, I'm, but I'm more gl- than you could launch I'm glad, in a I'm, But games. I'm glad yeah. the tools are still there because I still have plans to go back and do another 4th fourth, fourth edition campaign, yeah. um, you know, at some time in the relatively near future. So if they were to take, suddenly take those tools away, I'd be like, well, what did I pay my yearly subscription fee for, you know? Right, right, yeah. Exactly. And, and I know a lot of people have dropped them, but I haven't, right? Because I, I want to continue to be able to go back to that and I want to play that 4th edition campaign and I want to continue to support the brand, um, you know. But, I but, have but dropped it. But it's not a charity point, event either, yeah. so. Yeah, I have dropped it, but once DD D and D next or fifth edition or what do you want to call it goes no, live, no. I'll probably restart again because that that's particularly if you want to write for them, it's the best way to find out what's going on. So, um, you know, I'll probably re up it once the new game is launched, but probably not until then. Well, and it's so. interesting because uh, I hadn't realized. Um, Sam, you pointed this out to us earlier. I think maybe before we started recording that they were ending the magazines. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah. For for those of you who don't know, if you look in the editorial for Drag in, in Dragon Magazine issue number four twenty seven, Christopher Perkins, the editor of Dragon Magazine, states that. In January, the magazines are dark. It, December will be the last issues until they really until they fully release the next edition. Right, and so that that actually plays in well with some of the things I'd heard because I I talked to some of the freelancers and things at Gen Con who um, who had written articles for Wizards for the magazines that never got published, mm-hmm. and, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, without announcement, without even them knowing that it was coming, suddenly their articles were published. You know, just in the last few weeks, and it's like, oh, right. well, now that makes sense, right? Because they still have this backlog of articles that they've paid for, you know, <laughs> so that they're going to publish the things that the stuff they've paid for before they before they end the run, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I still have an act- active subscription too, just because I didn't bother to cancel it. And it's a, you know, and I, and I you know, I was I was running fourth edition, and you know, I mean, that's fine. I'm not. That I don't mean that as a complaint. I'm just saying, like, I, so this this actually makes it like you know, maybe I won't re up in February when my when my year long you yeah. know expires. My, see, now mine's in the summer, so I suspect that by next summer when it's starting to come up again, they'll they'll be talking about a release date, and I'll just want to keep it. Right. So. Yep. Yep. So they got me just the right timing. They they did. They <laughs> they they looked on your calendar and they said, "Oh yeah, we got to." That's Jeff how we right. can get Jeff. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, well, should we talk down the clock for the last thirty-seven seconds, or should we just go ahead and stop it and, and do mine? We go can for stop it. Yeah, I'm done. All yeah. right. I had nothing more to say. <laughs> All right. Good. Uh, so, I'm going to talk about the Legends and Lore article called "Class Groups" from nine thirty. Um, and in this this article, they sort of talk about how the original plan was to have fewer classes, but then multiple builds of those classes, and sort of the the archetypical example of that was we're going to have a mage class and one of the builds will be wizard and one of the builds will be warlock and one of the builds will be sorcerer. And so we'll be able to have all those what used to be classes but under one class uh, with some cohesive mechanics to tie them all together and then just different builds to make them seem different. Um, this article says that the response they got from that was pretty lukewarm. And they've kind of decided to walk back on it and not do that. So they're going to create separate classes for all those things instead of having one you know, mega class that, that ties it all together. Um, which I don't think 
at that point isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, either way, it doesn't make a big deal to me. But but if you can customize it more by making sorcerer and warlock separate classes and make them feel more sorcery and more warlocky, then that's fine by me. That sound fair so far? Um, so far, I have comments, but go ahead. Okay. Well, th- they go on to then explain, but at the same time, there was. There was some usefulness to having all these classes sort of grouped together, all these builds grouped together into one class. So they're going to continue to try to utilize or create that usefulness by giving different classes a a, a group name, if you will. Um, so there's the warrior group, there's the tricksters, the mages, and the priests. Um, and so instead of everything, everybody being a mage, or all arcane casters being a mage, and then different builds of mage instead it's going to be we're going to have you know 10 different classes of magic user of arcane magic user and they're all going to fit into this mage group which means that you know we could come up with a magic item that says if you're from this group then you can do this or if you're from that group then you can do that or you know feats that work that way or whatever right and so they can they can still use those groupings in that way Mm -hmm. that's the article more or less but I, i hear that randall has some comments um, I have a couple. The first is, um, a, well, an anecdote actually from my last game. Um, I mentioned the fact that since feats were optional, that I was probably not going to use them. And the reason I wasn't going to use them is because I think um, I like customization built into the fact that uh, there are builds within each character class. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, a barbarian can become a like a tracking type barbarian, mm-hmm. or it can become a rage barbarian, or whatever. Um, and they build the customization and the specialization for that particular, uh, or different. Sorry, I'm using the wrong word. The differentiation within that class, they're using these builds, if you will. I like that, and as long as they continue to fold abilities and powers into those builds, then I can eliminate feats altogether and not worry about that. I want them to continue to do that. I, th- I like I think, that idea. I think they're still going to. I think like you're still going to have okay. different wizard builds. Like one of them will be an evoker and an illusionist. Right. You know, the, I think you'll still have builds like that. They just won't be a build of sorcerer and a build of right. warlock. And I hope and I hope that's the case because really don't like feats. Um, <laughs> I went around with my players. I've got some players that are are, are, are power gamers, and they love feats because they they think it makes their character epic. And I said. Mm, yeah, it may be, but at the same time, it adds a layer of complexity you really don't need when it can be built within the class itself. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and so, as long as they're optional, I'll probably opt out of feats. Uh, the other point I was going to make is that I hope they continue along the path where they did with this last um, uh, release, or the last public release, I should say, of um, making sure like first and second level didn't have, weren't power-loaded. Right. And that you still had, and it wasn't until third level that you got into your major abilities. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I, I want them to keep that. Please do not, if there, if anyone from Wizards is listening to this <laughs> podcast, continue <laughs> to do that. There needs to be a set of novice, if you will, levels mm-hmm. that work players into their abilities a little bit slower than just dumping everything on them at first level. Yeah, one of the things and, Sam and I talked about in last night's um, recording uh, where we reviewed the, the final packet is that, that that concept of the early levels not being st- stacked so heavily 
mm-hmm. uh, actually makes multi-classing work. It makes it more functional because people in third edition would always just, oh, I'll take one level of that class because you you loaded up tons of new powers, right? Right. Now, now I you actually don't. hate multi-classing, but I accept your argument. You okay. Know. <laughs> yeah. So. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that and, was and, one of the things I said, Randall, was I, yeah. I'm not a big multi-classer. I don't like it. I don't enjoy it. I'm not one who usually does it. I probably haven't done it in 20 years. However, the, the multi-classing they seem to have, the, 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 that they're leaning towards, seems to fix a lot of the problems that I saw with multi-classing. I still probably won't do it, but at least it'll be, you know. Well, and that's good. I mean, I mean like I said, if, you, if, if you're someone who multi-classes and it's not a broken mechanic, then um, uh, I think that's good. I hope it continues to be optional. Because it's probably not something I would want to allow either. Sure. Um, but uh, but then you know I I'm I'm an old man. And I'm kind of a hard ass when it comes to that kind of stuff. Well, I so. think you as a DM can always opt out of it, right? And you, know, you, right. Could, you as sure. a DM can say there's no there's no mages or no wizards in my campaign too. Well, you know? I suppose that's true too. So, but yeah. Anyway, those are my only two concerns. And, and assuming they continue to do those. Then uh, you know whether they group them or not is sort of academic. I mean, I think just attaching the name to a group is a way to be able to uh, design things like items and effects so that you know it'll affect a larger you know type of group or be more uh, flexible. Yeah. Um, you know, so like for example, a staff. You know, anyone from a major priest class can use a staff. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I get that. Well, um, and it's not it's not that dissimilar to things they've been doing since third edition anyway. I mean, you could see all over right. third edition that, you know, this thing is usable by wizards slash sorcerers, and then later on they they designed the warlock class, and the, inside the warlock class it would say something like, this class can use any of the same whatever that the wizards and sorcerers can use. So it's just basically doing the same thing, but making it a little bit cleaner. Right, exactly. And I, that's fine. And and the only, my only issue is that, um, one... I really don't like the names that they've chosen very well. Yeah, oh, especially yeah. especially that was going to be my that was going to be my comment. Trickster, come on. Yeah, that's really. Not I didn't good. like the first time he mentioned that name in, like, in the articles. Cl- clearly, what they're doing is they're trying to to tie them to the iconic classes, right? Warriors for the fighter, trickster for the rogue, mage for the wizard, and, and priest for the clerics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, and he and he sort of mentions in the next paragraph that that it's similar but with a lighter touch than than rolls had in fourth edition. And I would almost argue that at least for three out of four of them, it's actually really a lot closer to power sources, right? I mean, you have warriors, the master of arms, mages specialize in arcane magic, priests specialize in divine magic. It's it's just power sources again, uh, with the exception of the trickster, which is this odd sort of dex based thing, basically. Um, and so Dex and charisma. Well, yeah. Dex charisma, whereas warrior is more con strength, right? right. Um, but yeah, so it's 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 weird and a little, it feels a little bit weird and awkward and a little a little bit of sticking some of the the not good of fourth edition in, in that suddenly things start feeling like keywords and mechanics rather than than characters, and that's my only concern is that you don't want to overemphasize yeah. it yeah. because it could it could go that way. Yeah, the, I'm probably still going to call them fighters, thieves, clerics, and well, no, mage, and, and, and wizards. You'll, and you'll still have those classes, right? That, <laughs> no, I mean I'll call class, the groups yeah. that too. Yeah. I'll call the groups that too. The fighter group, that's just how I am. Sure, but yeah, um, yeah, but I, I mean, the name. You're right. The name's kind of irksome, but it's like you know, there are a hundred things that I could probably pick apart. That's probably the last one I'll I'll choose because a name is know, a name. 
but yeah, that's true, but sort of. I mean, the thing is, I, I get the concept they're going for, and I understand why they're sort of doing this. But it seems to me like they're they're fumbling around with the names. And the problem is, if you have a name that's really stupid, that thing ends up being you know notorious. Yeah. Yeah. About You're right. Edition. Like, oh yeah, remember when they had the tricksters? You know. Yeah. And it I mean, becomes a name is a name, the thing the name it's known for. It's important, and and I and I think that um, they. I think one of the reasons why we see so many articles about this is that this is a really important part to get right, and yeah. it's obvious pretty much from the from the conversations I've had and that I've seen, and from the comments that 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 still don't they don't have it right. <laughs> yeah. One of the things um, is that. I mean, I know a lot of people have tossed around the word like specialist, but it's like, well, they're all specialists in different things that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, is trickster actually goes back to mythology. And mm-hmm. it's actually, I mean, while I'm not crazy about the word as a word itself, it does actually aptly describe that ki- those kinds of people in heroic legends. They were often mm-hmm. tricksters um, in that kind of sense. So, you know, they are kind of going back to, uh, uh, there is a mythological base and so I can buy that. Can you name um, Can you name a trickster class that isn't a rogue? Bard. They're not. Well, then what kind of magic do they use? Why would they? They don't have to use magic <laughs> at suppose. all. Yeah, I, know, I suppose bard. But um, rogue, bard, um, jester. Um, Which is just a bard. Maybe. <laughs> um, I mean, is it uh, is an assassin a trickster? Yeah. The, see, Assassin, the, but see, this is my issue. Not necessarily. I don't feel like a, a, I don't feel like uh, think trickster, about trickster fits. I don't ninja. think trickster fits ninja or assassin. Think, right, people that's the problem. Of trickster. People think of trickster as at least the common, um, the most acceptable use of the word these days. Trickster is someone who's kind of goofy. Right. Uh, not necessarily. Actually, tricksters. If you think of coyote from Native American legends, or Loki, or if you think of Loki, or if you think of uh, what is it, monkey? Uh, monkey God? I, oh man, people are going to kill me for this one because I don't have the cultural background here. Um, what, what there's uh, Japanese, I believe. Okay, Monkey King, maybe. Um, uh, but anyway, there are these, and they can do some really, really sinister things. Sure. Um, and so I think that, like I said, if you go back to the mythological base of the word trickster. It's not necessarily this goofy, happy-go-lucky type of person. It's an actual. It's a definitely an archetype. A manipulator. Uh, uh, yes, it's very a manipulator. good. Manipulator. Yeah. In fact, that might even be a better word for use. But um, but, but I yeah. Don't, but, but I don't live in mythological times. I live in now when the connotation right. is different. I, I, yeah, get I think that, I think the, the connotations of the word is 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 too lighthearted. It's it's too lighthearted. It, it's too. It's also up for interpretation. Maybe that's what they want. But if that's what they want, they need to find a different word still because it's still not. It just doesn't. Mm-hmm. There's something. There's something. It just doesn't fit exactly. And maybe we just don't get all the context because these articles are relatively short. But I just don't like it. No. I don't think I'll ever I, like I agree with you, Randall, that it really is like it's the manipulator sort mm-hmm. of. Trickster just means some. It's someone who tricks you, literally, not in a jokesy, jester way necessarily, or in a happy-go-lucky way necessarily, or even in a charming way necessarily. It's more you got had, you were had, yeah, right. 
you got had, oh. and that's and that's not part a of that's thing, that's right? part of the issue with that category is that it can be all of right. those things. It can be the skulking in the shadows guy, mm-hmm. or it can be the super charismatic guy, or it can be the goofy jester guy, or it could be all those things. And it's really hard to find a category that feels right for all of those, mm-hmm. even yeah. though we understand that it's a dex charisma based thing, and it works, and we we get that 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 goes together. It just then there's not. I can't think of a name that puts them all together well. Yeah. Well, and like I said, I think. Uh, Trickster actually does, but that does that from an academic viewpoint. And right. if you don't have that academic viewpoint, then yeah, you that mm-hmm. term is lost on you. And I think that's right. what it comes to. Um, I haven't read. It's been a long time since I've read The Power of Myth, so I don't know if if Campbell addresses that particular archetype. I'm sure he does, but I don't have the background for it. So um, hey, if any of our listeners want to uh, help uh, educate uh, Randy over here, then please do, because um, <laughs> I know I don't have the background that I should be probably talking over uh, uh, where I should be talking. But um, I mean, I know it's an archetype, and obviously it's there. And uh, so I just uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see if they stick with that term or if they just go back to using the term rogue. <laughs> Given the response that that word has gotten every time they bring it up as as some sort of categorization, if yeah. they really are listening to their fans, they're not going to use that word because too many people are reacting very strongly against the use of that word. <laughs> For whatever, it doesn't even that, matter the reasons. It doesn't matter the reasons, right? Yeah. Because the point is that they want to get a game that pulls in people, not pushes them away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they said the same thing about Tanari and uh, um, um, Beatazu as well. So, mm-hmm. Well, if you want to educate Randall or any of the rest of us about any of this stuff, then you can always email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call our biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that this is the end of the episode. Good call. Or is he tricking us? <laughs> oh, he is not tricking us. <laughs> well we want to thank uh, all of our listeners for supporting us uh, especially if you're shopping at Amazon and dndclassics.com through our affiliate links and you know you can buy anything through Amazon if you just go to the Tome Show website and you click on Amazon and then just go pick something else and we still get credit for that anyway you can go over to thetomeshow.com to find that link and you can also get a hold of us at thetomeshow.com or email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call our infamous notorious famous biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. Until next time, this is Jeff Greiner signing out for myself, Sam Dillon, our man on the street in the arena, Randall Walker. Randall? Randall! Guess you didn't make it this time. Time to find another Randall. It's like the third one this month. Keep gaming, Tomites! <laughs> <laughs>